got cap and the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth tracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A bestie against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling The listeners and followers who get it keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend Precedent to see where haters with the men there's no pretend 17 years, he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Kelly back by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood 1, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, hollow around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Episode 4 of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast Great friends, what's happening everybody? So I have just recently come back from Mexico City where I was uh, for four days. And Mexico City is not a place that I ever really had on my uh, radar as a place that I wanted to go visit. I mean, if you said, hey, Paris or London or... Uh, if you wanted to get a little bit more exotic, you could say, uh, I don't know, Moscow, for example, or, or, you know, just any place that's like, you know, off the beaten path that maybe you have like a real interest in traveling to. For me, Mexico City, not really ever on my list, but because my son was invited to play in a high school football bowl game, and I really didn't know much about where they were going or how they were getting there or, or how protected they would be or if it was dangerous, I said, I better go. And so what was really cool about this trip was I did not know anything about Mexico City. And thankfully, I had some friends who were willing to come meet us, who were locals, that were willing to take us all around. So to get started today on the solo podcast, rather than just go into a full diatribe about Mexico City and what I experienced and what you might want to if you go down there, I want to bring on a friend of mine. And and you know what? Let, let me just jump right into it so that I can explain how this relationship began And then we can take you through this entire Mexico City thing so that you have a great appreciation for what this city was or is, and and maybe perhaps you're going to go down and visit. And so let me make a call to my traveling companion, Mark Rabb. Hello? Rabbi. What's up, boy? You got a few minutes, man? Yeah, I'm just cruising to L.A. All right, good, dude. Where where are you at right now? Uh, Orange County. Just paint a picture for me, dude. Paint a picture. Uh, beautiful Southern California sunny day, about 70 degrees, and I am cruising with the coastline uh, by San Clemente, Mission Viejo area. Uh, lots of traffic, but it's not bumper to bumper. I'm cruising at uh, 70 miles an hour. All right, beautiful. Now, I, now that I got the picture. So listen, dude, here's the thing. Um, I was saying on the radio I wanted to talk about the uh, experience in Mexico City. And, okay. gosh, this is annoying. There's like a little echo. Do you hear it? I don't hear it. Let me see. Uh, I'm sure it's because I'm I'm on your Bluetooth, right? Is that better? Yeah, it's way better. What was that? Okay, I, uh, I was on uh, you know Bluetooth. They took me on the, the car phone thing. Gotcha. So, okay, so I wanted to talk about Mexico City, and I thought that rather than just talk about my weekend experience in a city that I had no expectations of, I thought we could do this together on the podcast. You cool with that? Very cool with that. 
All right. So before we um, before we do this story about Mexico City, I just have to establish who is Mark Rabb in the history of the Scott and BR ecosystem as I'm now into this solo podcast. Are you ready to do this? I'm ready to do this. <laughs> and, and the reason I wanted to start here is, and I want to try and make this as quick as possible, um, you told a great story of how we met when we were at dinner on Thursday night in Mexico City. So it was, I think it was like 2003 or four. It was early in, in our radio show history. And I had a, a thing where Billy Ray was going to go to an LL Cool J concert something way out of his norm, and I needed somebody to go with him for whatever reason I couldn't go, and it was probably because my kids were like babies. But you called the show and explain what happened thereafter. Right. So, uh, you, you know, this is the, the vast morning wasteland days, uh, and, yeah, it was around 03, and, you know, I'm an LL Cool J fan from high school in the 80s, and you said, uh, you know, BR is going to stick out like a sore thumb, big white dude at LL Cool J down at 4th and B. And was there any uh, legit white dude LL Cool J fans interested in wanting to go? So uh, I just I thought, hey, I'm gonna call in and uh, called in. You know, you're like, okay, what's your what's your stats? I'm like six four two sixty. You're like, okay, is that a round mound, a rebound, or is that like Ford Steel? I was like, ah, maybe somewhere in between. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, okay, let's put you to the test. Um, you know, how, how much of a fan of LL Cool J, you know, are you? Do you do you know any of the songs? And I said, yep. And you said, let's hear it. So I started busting out some lyrics from uh, LL Cool J's song, My Radio. So What'd you bust out? Uh, do you remember the lyrics that you busted? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> My radio, believe me, I like it loud. I'm the man with the box that can rock the crowd. Go rock it to the street with a hardcore beat while my jvc vibrates the concrete and then you know you start cracking up yeah all right you're in all right dude so so you go down to this concert with billy ray in 2003 ll cool j and as i recall he says you kind of look familiar and then you explain to billy ray and i hope you'll be able to explain it you know concisely again here for everybody listening um, you then explained to Billy Ray why you and he may have crossed paths explain the story of your college career at USC into your pro career in the NFL and then the one game career you had for the then San Diego Chargers because this is an amazing story that's correct so uh yeah I played my college ball at USC uh, I was a walk-on uh freshman with uh junior Seau um and you know walked on went through the the trials and tribulations of being a walk-on earned a scholarship as long snapper uh, coming out of USC, was told that, you know, I had the goods to maybe, uh, you know, show myself at the next level, tried, you know, put together tapes, sent them to all the teams across the uh, NFL, and then one special teams coach with the Redskins, uh, Wayne Severe, who was a San Diego native, that he played uh, quarterback at San Diego State back in the day, uh, maybe under Air Coriel, perhaps. I'm not 100% sure on that, but, I mean, he's got some lineage and, he tried me out and uh, at Escondido High School, where he had some family in the area and he was visiting. I uh, said, yep, uh, I like what you got. And so then um, he said, stay by the phone. And then uh, 92, uh, I got a call in the summertime. And it was late summer, going into the final preseason game. And I got this call. I was uh, playing rec league basketball with some coworkers. And I get this call from uh, my wife, and she says, uh, you've got a call from Wayne Severe, and um, he, you know, he wants you to uh, fly out to uh, Washington. I was, I, I thought it was a prank. I, like, you're, you're not messing with me, are you? And she's like, no, it's for real. Call him back. So I did, and then next thing I know, I'm out there with the Redskins. Um, 
they, you know, off and on from 92 and 93, got to finish the 93 season as their starting long snapper, snapping for Reggie Roby and Chip, Chip Lomiller. And then um, Norv Turner got hired in. Uh, we had a bad season, and the whole staff uh, was let go as, as well as about half the team. So I thought that might have been it. Uh, Wayne landed with the Rams uh, in 94 when they were just getting ready to leave to go to St. Louis. I got a tryout with them. He didn't have quite the clout because he had, you know, he just was a new special teams coach with that team. Uh, so we said, well, you know, well, let's keep in touch. And then that was pretty much it. And then five years went by. Wait, so, you, so your I'm career friends. was over. You're, you, you had one, maybe two years, you know, in the NFL, and and your your career's over. For, why why was it so hard for a guy like you to get back in? Uh, they, you know, the league really they want that veteran status person. So I was competing against veterans and I still had like rookie status. I didn't have eight games under my belt. So it was just a constant uphill battle. And so, so for five years, season, so, so you're done, you're, you're out. I mean, you, you could yeah, not get back in. Concerned. It was just going to be another uphill battle. Maybe the pilot light was still lit. There was a glimmer of hope because I felt I was still young and to, to contribute, but I knew I still had rookie status. Okay. So, so now five years after your last game in the NFL, which was 1992? Uh, it was December 31st, 1990. Wait, December 31st, 1990 what? Five years later, 1998. Okay, so 93 was your last game. December 31st, Correct. 90. Okay, December 31st, 1993 is your last game. Yep. Five Red years. Against the Vikings. Right. Okay, <laughs> five years later, Wayne Severe is coaching with the San Diego Chargers, and what happens? Yeah, so. Uh, so Wayne was coaching. Uh, he was he came in as a consultant, and uh, things uh, were going a certain way when and they decided to make him the special teams coach. And you know, during the course of the five years, of course, my friends and family would be you know we'd be watching the NFL, and somebody a long snapper would get hurt or screw up or something. And my actually they would screw up. And all my friends are messaging me. Did you see that? You know, so and so from the Chiefs just screwed up. You know, call. Did you call? Did you call? And I was just like. Yeah, yeah, it does not quite like that, but, you know, I'm keeping an eye out, and I'm trying to reach out to the, the people I knew. So uh, it's 1998, it's December, um, and next thing I know, you know, watching the Charger game, and I see that uh, the snapper, David Ben, who had, you know, gotten the job with them in 94, uh, locked it down and was the, you know, sole solid long snapper from 94 until he retired. Uh, I saw he went down, and I thought, hmm. You know, San Diego is my backyard. I'm living in San Diego. I'm working. Let me let me put let me place a call. I know right. Wayne's there now. He, yeah. You know, and uh, can't hurt. You know, right. sort of yeah. like hey, couldn't hurt for me to call. You know, Scott and Br. <laughs> get and, get uh, some LL Cool J tickets. You know, LL Cool J, and right. then you know, great friends. So uh, I called, uh, hit the office, and you know, of course, he's not in the office. Like you know, at night, um, they did have somebody answer the phone, and I you know got through to his voicemail, left the voicemail for him. And then about 45 minutes later, I get a call back from him. And he goes, hey. I go, yeah. He goes, you're in San Diego. I go, right. And he goes, did we call you or did you call me? And I was like, uh, why in the heck would you guys, uh, you know, be calling me? He said, I was just in a coach's meeting a couple hours ago, and we were talking about you because David Bain got hurt. And I know, you know, I, I got you in my back pocket. And he's like, how much do you weigh? And I was like, you know, 260. He's like, okay, great. Can you still snap? I go, of course. So he said, uh, can you come help us out? So I said, sure. So, you know, he's like, let me call you back. And then, you know. By the way, what are you doing uh, professionally at the time? Because now you've got a job and a family, right? 
Correct. So I was working uh, at you know what is AT and T today, which was Pacific Bell. So I was at Pac Bell. Uh, this was so. How uh, could you how could you leave to go help the Chargers practice? How could you do that? Well, uh, the irony of it is, uh, you know, it is the NFL, and there's a sort of like a celebrity status that goes with it. So when I called my boss and said, "Hey, the Chargers need me to go help out," they were just like, uh, "I hope you're not joking, because if you're not joking, by all means, go, <laughs> go, go, go." It gives us all sorts of bragging rights, and uh, you know, we're we're ecstatic. So, so how long, yeah, just, how long did you go. how long did you quote unquote help the Chargers out? Uh, it was for like two weeks. Um, I, they needed somebody to give them quality reps in practice. Because Ben uh, was hurt, he wasn't going to be able to practice. Correct. So uh, he had, um, I, I'm not sure if it was a knee or or, some, or a shoulder, something was bugging him. He could play, but he couldn't put the wear and tear of the extra reps, you know, in practice. He was doing, you know, rehab and so how know, did in they, the trainer's did, room and but, all that. But they didn't sign you. How did they pay you? Because you couldn't have just left your job for free. Right, right. So, uh, you know, they said they, they would take care of me, uh, you know, you know, give me a, a, like a per diem uh, for helping them out. And I said, all right, that sounds great. And, you know, I wasn't really, Wait a second. It wasn't really affecting my job. Yeah. Well, how much, how much did they pay you? <laughs> uh, a, few, a couple hundred bucks a week. Cash? For those two weeks. You know. Cash? And so, uh, yeah. So, cash. so the Chargers gave you cash to help them practice? Correct. That's unbelievable. I wonder if that happens elsewhere. I mean, like, that's so, that is so baloney sandwich selling of Dean Spanos <laughs> to do that. But that's another story. So, so Mark, explain, though, then, how you go from helping the Chargers out in practice to your one-game career so that you and I can get onto our review of Mexico City. Okay. So, uh, two weeks go by, and, you know, that's adequate time for, for Ben to be getting, you know, healed up, and he played in the games and was looking good. Uh, and, you know, I could kind of get that vibe on that last Thursday before the game. They're just like, all right, we really appreciate, you know, uh, giving, you know, quality reps for John Carney and Darren Bennett. And I was just like, you know, my pleasure. <laughs> it's all good. And so I thought, you know, he's healing up. He, next week he's going to be back to full strength or pretty close. And my little, you know, two-week stint is done. Uh, so go into the game that Sunday. They were playing the Broncos. And about third quarter, uh, there's a punt. And then there's a timeout on the field after the punt. Wait a second, you broke up on your. On, wait a second, you broke up. You, there was a punt. Okay. There's an injury on the punt, and what happened? Yeah, so it's against the Broncos. There's a yeah punt in third quarter, and there's a you know timeout on the field for an injured player. And you know, of course, the trainers are all around, and I couldn't. I'm looking. I'm like, you know, who's that number? Who down on a punt? And then they you know moves out of the way, and the camera sees the shot, and it's it's been. He's down, and he's holding his shoulder. So uh, I'm like, well, it looks like I'll be helping them out again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh turned out he had, his shoulder had popped out and popped back in. So he was, you know, and that, I think it was a different injury than what he previously had. So uh, I showed back up again on Tuesday, and I said, I'm assuming you guys still want me to help you out. And then uh, Wayne Sevier was like, well, you've been helping us out, you know, for a couple weeks, and you've been doing great, you know, giving quality reps for – for John and uh, Darren, so you know you couldn't do this in a game, could you? And I'm like, of course, you know, I'm like, what? Well, why would you? Me, think they, no... You've been five years out of football. Why would you think you could go in an NFL football game? Oh, well, I mean, being a long snapper, you know, you either it's, a, it's like riding a bike, you either have it or you don't. And if you can do it, you know, and you're in decent shape, it's not like you know, yeah, you're off the couch. But I, I was fortunate at the time after letting myself go for a few years with that post football depression and 
uh, you know, eating and just not caring about working out. That all of a sudden I had started working out literally like three months prior. So I was like, I said, I was playing rec basketball. I was in great shape, and it was just playing rec basketball luck, so. got you ready for the NFL. Well, hey, I was in I was in good enough shape. It's and amazing. Adrenaline was flowing. Right, it's I a great like, story. <laughs> it's an amazing like, story. What the heck? So what happened? So you, so there so he gets hurt again, Ben. Right. Now you go back in. You say, hey, I'm here to help. He says you've been doing a good job. Can you actually do this in the game? You say, of course. And what happens? Well, and he says, all right. Well, uh, you know, can you travel with the team? I, you know, up to Seattle this week. I said, sure. And he goes, all right. Well, uh, let me see what's up. And then the next day, uh, he goes, hey, I need you to to sign some papers. Um, but I'm not sure how it's going to go. But you know, we have to just you know we have to get you you know activated, blah, 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 but you may not be snapping, you know, but I just want to have you as an insurance policy. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. He just kept messing with me. Like, you know, it's no big deal. Like, we're, we'll, we're bringing you along as an insurance, you know, whatever. But meanwhile, I'm the one getting all the reps in practice. Like, it became all official, right? I'm the official guy now, and, uh, you know, people are like, okay, it's all good. And then we fly up to Seattle, like, you know, right before he's like, you know, you can fly? Like, yeah, all right. And I'd say, same thing. Like, he just kept questioning me, like, you know, is this for real, can you do this? You know, I'm like, yeah. So he's fucking with you so, the whole way. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. He's, <laughs> and that's just his style. I mean, it, it was his style back when I first met him in Escondido, all the way through Redskins and everything. Just one of those classic guys that's just old school and wants to test your mental toughness the whole way. So he goes, don't don't get too, you know, worked up. I'm not sure if you're going to even, you know, we're taking both of you up there, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So we go through, you know, pre, you know, night before and then morning of, pregame meals, the whole bit, still like, Whatever. He's not, you know, hey, just make sure you get on the right bus with the kickers, the specialists. Uh, still not sure what's going to happen. Okay. So we get to the locker, and in the locker is my stuff, grab, helmet, jersey, pad, the whole bit. And in the same locker is uh, the name Ben, and it's a hat and a polo shirt, a baseball cap, Chargers baseball cap and a polo shirt. I'm like, uh, I think I'm playing. <laughs> I walk over to Wayne, and he goes, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you're playing, but you need to go see the doc, make sure you get a, a physical for clearance. I'm like, uh, okay. So, yeah, just like that, I became official. I played in the game, and everything is from my end went well, but, you know, we got torched. And then uh, the next week, I was all excited, thinking, hey, I, you know, Ben was hurt, so I'm going to get to finish the season against the Raiders. You know, growing up in San Diego, getting to play the Raiders, I'm like, holy crap, how how much more epic could that be? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ben's like, nope, I'm good. I'm not <laughs> So that was it. Okay, one game, and then they cut you. How much did you get paid for the game? Do you remember? Yeah, how I much? do remember. <laughs> uh, 12 grand. No way. Yeah. 12, 12 grand. grand. Whoa. Yeah, that was a prorated amount of the uh, of league minimum for rookies. Wow. Damn, yeah. twelve grand, dude. Yeah, I was stoked. I bought myself a fridge with it. <laughs> a fridge? In cash. Yeah, I walked in and got cash. And so later down the road, uh, you know, I kept in touch with John Carney and Darren Bennett. And I, they're like, what, you know, what you do? I was like, hey, it's my Chargers fridge. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I bought a real nice, you know, side-by-side fridge. I was, you know, I was li- working for Pac Bell, had a wife, a kid, the whole bit. So, you know, that kind of stuff's important. Was there ever an opportunity thereafter, or was that retirement? Did you did you have a press uh, conference at the Charger facility and retire? Well, see, I felt like uh, yeah, no, no press conference. Uh, the guys though, uh, uh, Sid Brooks and some they were they treated me so awesome. Um, they got you know they gave me the jersey, the game jersey afterwards, and uh, uh, then John Carney put together had the team photographer put together a collage of some photos of the game with, of me and yeah, it was just 
you know, the guys and then and the, the the staff where they were they were awesome. But uh That's a no, great I story. thought, you know, hey, maybe this is my little, you know, crack in the door to get to keep that dream alive. But then in the off season, uh Wayne Severe unfortunately passed away and so went my my one person that believed I, I had what it took. It's an amazing story. Mark Rabb, I, I love the story. So, you know, we became acquainted back in 2003 with that hell, hell LL Cool J story. Who knew that, you know, 14 years later, our sons would be high school seniors playing high school football together. And every Friday night, you and I, the two nervous dads, would be standing up there in the stands. <laughs> but we, right. we had a great time. We've known each other for a really, really long time. But you've gone back and forth between San Diego and Texas. And, you know, you've got it. Uh, you know, you're a busy guy with us being a single dad. And, and by the way, having a son who you mentioned, Darren Bennett, who, you know, your son, I, I met your son when he was a little boy and he, he's been confined to a wheelchair and has muscular dystrophy his entire life. And luckily for him, he's living a great life and he's he's a student at the University of San Diego and he's in a fraternity and he's living as normal a life as a guy can who's been confined to a wheelchair his entire life with MD. So all these years, we've never had a chance to hang out quite as much as busy dads would want to hang out. But this past football season afforded us, I mean, really a great gift, which is, you know, a whole new, deeper friendship, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's yep. the way I feel. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, it, it t- takes great friends to a whole new level when our, our sons are playing ball together and we're sharing in that same dad, you know, angst and, and, and nervousness and excitement and joy, you know, seeing what we did at their age and them getting to, to do the same thing. But then, but for you to have been a long snapper and me to have been a kicker and, and, and your son to become a long snapper and mine to become a kicker and those two guys to hit it off the way they have, it's, it's a, it's really a fun thing. So then now we, we kind of, this advances the ball here. And by the way, Mark, you know, on radio, it's always about trying to get in as much as you can in a short period of time in between commercials. In a podcast, man, there is no it, – it's fine. In fact, I get a lot of people who tell me, dude, give me more. You know, you did 30 <laughs> minutes with this That's guy. Awesome. You could so, so here – so we can stretch it a little bit here, but I want to um, get to this whole thing that we just experienced down in Mexico City. We Our sons were invited to play in a game called the America's Bowl. And, and look, truth be told, the coach and the staff, I've known these guys for years and years. And then thankfully, because my son had a good enough senior year, he was invited to come play. Um People kind of gave me a hard time on Facebook. They're like, your son's only invited because of you. And I'm like, hey, look, I'd be foolish and I'd be lying if I said he, you know, I didn't have a little something to do with it. But I didn't go seek them per se. So anyway, but he earned it. And your son certainly had earned it. And so they were both invited to go to Mexico City to be part of this crew of kids that are going to come to Mexico City and and help expand American football. But little did we know that on the other side (laughs) was a Mexican football team made up of older kids who had been from all over the country to create a national team. And, Mark, this football game was a Super Bowl for those Mexican kids, and we show up like a bunch of slappies on vacation, high school football behind us, nobody thinking about film, nobody thinking about college recruiting, everybody just thinking, hey, we're just kind of down here to vacation and and play a football game. We got our asses kicked. I mean, we got humiliated and annihilated and destroyed, and I think we set American football back by about 50 years. Yeah, sure felt like it. I think we advanced uh, Mexican football probably tremendously, <laughs> which served the, the the greater good of the international scale. But as far as our own uh, scenario, you're right. It, it, I, I felt like that in the stands. Like, we are setting football back. <laughs> but, but at the end of the game, 
when it was over and they destroyed us and we sucked and our quarterbacks threw picks and our kickers missed PATs and our punters ball, hit the ball shanked and, and our tacklers couldn't couldn't take anybody to the ground and our running backs couldn't find space to run because our O-line wasn't blocked. I mean, just nothing went well. And by the way, if I'm criticizing everybody else's kids, I can criticize the coaches too. I thought that we were outcoached. I thought we were outplayed. But it didn't matter because, Mark, when it was all said and done, when your son and my son are standing on the field with a bunch of Mexican players who just played in that game and they're holding up a Mexican flag, dude, these kids don't understand it right now. I literally have chills thinking about it. But when they're right. our they, age, I, I just got chills too because I was thinking I was, you know, that image. I was, you know, we were there on the field watching these boys just be absolutely, you know, elated to be spending this this quality time with with the their their brothers of football on the other side of the of the country. You know, this yeah, they were they were just. Both of them. I mean, the, the losers, us, with this just huge lopsided loss, with these big smiles on their face, with the the opponents and big smiles on their face, and it wasn't about the result of the game. It was this international spectacle, and oh my god, it, yeah, watching them. Dude, you just said it well, though. You, yeah, you just said it well, though. They're they're football brothers. You know, these kids taking pictures with the Mexican flag and these Mexican players. Our American boys spreading the the game of football to their Mexican football brothers who just kicked the living crap out of these guys. Uh, right. It was, and when they're, tw- I'm, dude, I'm getting it, chills. What, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they'll be telling stories about we went to Mexico City, we had a great time, we saw all this cool shit, we got our asses handed to us in football, but man, right. that was an awesome experience trip of a lifetime i mean they, they yeah they, these are memories these kids that you know they will yeah they'll be sharing stories with their kids and you know who knows what this will do you know it's like i already know for for my son jacob it it's changed him like he sees things differently now in the moment he didn't quite so much but it was like from the plane ride home and then the next day and it's just soaking in and sinking into him and it's just his perspective on things is already altered well you go you go to mexico and you you see the way people in mexico work you see the way that that some people in mexico live i mean you 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 start to have a a greater appreciation for america and the way we get to live and i'll tell you this mark um before we talk about again our our review of mexico city that we we did together we pretty much handcuffed the entire time which was awesome (laughs) um my favorite part of the entire trip now that i've kind of analyzed it all is Sunday afternoon when we're going on a bus trip for about two hours and the coaches told you and me that we could get on the bus with our kids. And we were, I think, you know, we were, there were a few parents on the bus, but to spend that kind of quality time with your kid in a bus on the team, imagine if your dad, you know, was on the bus at USC. I mean, I think about if my dad were on the bus when we were going to play Penn State. You know, right. we were traveling across the state of Pennsylvania from Pittsburgh to Penn State. If my dad were on the bus, I mean, what a lifetime experience. And exactly. I, I loved it. And it was it was really, for all the fun we had and all the tequila we drank, and everything, that may have been the best <laughs> part, you know? Well, yeah, because the whole thing felt like a, a collegiate bowl game. The atmosphere, the way we were hosted, and the hospitality, it felt like a collegiate bowl game. I mean, I, I played in three Rose Bowls, a, a Sun Bowl in El Paso, and, I mean, Bragger. I, I, it was exactly like a bowl game. Yeah, right. and, and i got to say something real quick because I want to give a little love to these guys. Derek Dolan in San Diego, whose family owns a legendary restaurant called Bullies, and my friend Cree Morris for years, a high school football coach and an individual talent coach for uh, quarterbacks. 
and and the whole the whole crew of guys um, they they put on these coaches put on such an event and how they traveled everybody flights buses police escorts hotels meals sightseeing practices I mean honestly it was an incredible undertaking and oh by the way not none of, none of these kids paid one dollar this was all sponsored and it was these guys at the America's Bowl. I don't care how badly we got our asses kicked. They yeah. put on some kind of show to bring American football players down to Mexico. It was incredible. It was a total head scratcher because you know, leading up to it, we I kept wondering, now what in the hell? Like this is an all expense paid trip to Mexico City. I know it's they're getting the sponsorships, and but this is being driven by guys who are football coaches. Like their their passion is for football, and how are they and kids. how are they pulling off this international thing? And by the time we got down there, and by day two, now my head, I was really scratching my head. Because I'm like, they're treating this entire situation with police escorted, you know, trips for the boys everywhere they went. And the the hospitality and the meals at the hotels and the restaurant. I'm going, how did these guys, Cree and Derek, uh, and and then Ruben is the, the you know key translator for every activity. I mean, they pulled it off. And I, I just, I was amazed. I was too. Totally amazed. But here's the best part, and, and now let me get right to it. And it's, it's been a great storytelling, a lot of fun, a lot of love for the America's Bowl guys and, and, you know, what our kids got to experience and what we got to experience with our kids. The best part about it was this. The football coaches had the football players, and the dads, in our case, we were free to do whatever we wanted to do. We were on our own. That's we just right. happened to crash That's at that. the same team hotel. We just followed their itinerary. It wasn't like some kind of a trip that we were able to buy through them or anything like that. Thankfully, and I said this to you before we went down there, I said, I've got some friends. My friend Blake Harrington's from San Diego. Years ago, I was in Cabo. I was working out in a gym, and um, he came up to me, and he said, hey, um, you know, I, I, I'm from San Diego. Are you Scott Cabo? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, dude, I've been a listener for years, blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, we hit it off. He says, hey, I know you're a Sammy Hagar fan. My father-in-law owns Cabo Wabo with Sammy. Come tonight. Sammy's playing. And I kind of didn't know if he was full of shit or if he was for real. Right, yeah, that sounds like you're like, oh, whatever, dude. Right? Yeah, that sounds like a float of... Uh, right? Bullshit, it. right? Right? So, yeah. so he goes, no, seriously. So me and my friends met him later that night. He was standing in front of Cabo Wabo waiting for us, pulled us in, VIP seating. Dude, before I knew it, I was on stage with Sammy Hagar, and I shit you not. No so, freaking way. Yeah. That's insane. So Blake <laughs> and his wife, Michelle, we became, we hit it off instantly that night, and, and we've been long-lost friends ever since. So Blake said when he was here in San Diego, he goes, dude, if you're going to go to Mexico City, Michelle is from Mexico City, we'll come meet you. She can visit with family, and dude, we will show you Mexico City. And Mark, that was the absolute highlight of the trip, that these guys came from Cabo to chaperone us, to show us Mexico City. Because without them, I don't know if I would be as in love with Mexico City as I currently am. Right. I think we would have been more touristy, an appreciation for it. Like, okay, this is awesome. You know, uh, it's, a, it, it's, it's not as scary as you might have thought. You know, El Chapo's not, you know, around yeah. the corner. Right. We don't have to, you know, be so cautious of everything we do. I, I mean, that was my initial, you know, thoughts going in was like, Okay, we are going deep, deep into Mexico. This mm-hmm. isn't just crossing the border where there's all sorts of craziness that could happen that you've heard over the years in the news. This is deep into Mexico, 1,500 miles from San Diego. And, uh, you know, I, I had reservations and hesitations about, okay, how are we going to wander around and do our own thing? And at the same time, you know, you said, hey, I got some friends. 
State are going to host us. And I'm thinking, okay, to, to what extent is that, does that really mean? You know, what do they really know uh, until we realize they, they knew their shit? I right. mean, Michelle is a straight-up native of the actual area. And it just opened everything up. The guard was down, and it was like we could take it all in for everything that it really was all about. The true right. no fears, no, you know, concerns of anything, safety, food, beverage, none of that. Everything was so legit. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it's unbelievable. So I was telling my radio colleague, Darren Smith, who who himself likes to travel, and, and as, as do I, and, and, and he was saying, you know, tell me the places that you went because I'm curious when I go back there because um, he likes to compare notes, right? So I was saying, if you've ever been on an airplane, and you're you're on American Airlines as an example, and you right. pick up the magazine in front of you, which is not the Sky Mall, but the other magazine. There's always, always, always an article from a writer who said, "I spent three days in Miami, and here's everything you should do in Miami. I spent right. three days in San Antonio, and here's a whole bunch of shit you can do while you're in San Antonio, et cetera, et cetera." So now here goes. If you had four days to spend in Mexico City. I'm going to run down where we were, give you the names, yeah. and then you guys go for it if you ever get down that way. And, and Mark, jump in here. The first dinner we had was at a restaurant called the San Angel Inn. And Correct. it was an San, old— San Angel Inn. That is a must for anybody that goes down there. That, that was—it it, it, it just completely exudes authenticity and, like, world-class. I mean, it's like— the best restaurant, like I mean, it, it would put like a Ruth's Chris to shame because it's not a franchise. It was like down home, five star restaurant that's where the locals go. And it it is really decked out. I mean, beautiful gardens, incredible lighting. Yes, inside the main dining room, you know the the trio. Not hey, listen, yeah, we, we got not, a lesson yeah. about what not you're saying. Mariachi, not that's a, right. right. Not mariachi, not no twelve piece. Just you know, where people can screw up and and be hidden in the twelve piece band. This is a trio. A trio. These are skilled skilled artists. A, a trio. It's a trio. Right. With three skilled art, art artists right. doing so, their thing. So between the yeah. lighting and the gardens and then the main dining room and the and the music and how about the service and the waiters? They're all decked out in tuxedos with the long kind of bow ties. And dude, they are on top of you. You don't pour a drink. You don't have a glass of water that's empty for 30 seconds. They are on top of you. And the food at San Hanel Inn, spectacular, world class. Oh, absolutely world class. And the service, it, it, it reminded me, it made me just think of like uh, that, that movie, Mr. Deeds with Adam Sandler, and uh, I think it's John Turturro's, his butler. And every, every turn, like, he, he like thinks of thought, and there's the guy. There's, there's his manservant there giving him whatever. He's, hey, whoa, that, how, where'd you come from? Mm-hmm. Like, like a ninja. These, these guys were, they were non intrusive, and they, but they, I mean, you could just tell the pride in them. Having that job, it wasn't a job. It was like it was their career, personal pride right. in their career right. of being right. the best server and, and attentive to detail and accommodating and you enjoying your experience. It was, it was all about you know what can we do for you to make the most of this night. Well, you know, it was it's, like it's a great every description. Night was like epic. It's a great description. And that was the first. The yeah. next day, just from a sightseeing standpoint, we went into an area um, of Mexico City where we were able to explore incredible churches. I mean, very European-style churches and giant squares. And um, 
this is an area called Zocalo. And yep. then, uh, Zocalo, yeah, that's right. Right the, right, the Mexico City Metropolitan Cathedral, which was the church, which is a must if you're going into Mexico City. You've got to go there and see this. And the, the, the again, the amazing architecture. And then we went to a place called Templo Mayor, which is um, pyramids. But then apparently we're learning a little of the history. The Spanish who conquered, they came and they built on top of the pyramids that were there, um, that were originally built by Again, Mexican history, you'll have to excuse me, but by the Aztecs, I hope I'm getting this right. The, the, the Spanish conquered and then built on top of the pyramids. And you have to go see this for yourself, what's called Templo Mayor. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, the history there, it was just, it's all embedded in everything that they do. And it was like, oh, well, you know, there's volcanoes in the area. And so when, the, you know, volcanoes that are, you see lava rock was used to build so much stuff. And they, they would just put piles stuff on top of stuff and then and you're digging through and you're seeing you know they did a great job of representing it and you're and you're sitting there in this you know zocalo going we're talking hundreds and hundreds of years old these buildings and these structures and these things that have been in place you know before 1776 and the united states right. and all that kind of stuff like this this beats that by twice as much easily you know and, and it was just like wow it was just all part of who they are and how they go about their daily life. Yeah, it was awesome. And then that afternoon, again, just restaurant suggestions, La Opera, just like it's <laughs> yes. in, La, like La Opera, like the opera, La Opera Restaurante and Bar. And, dude, now it's Friday afternoon, and people are, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and people are drinking and eating, and they're not in there for a quickie lunch. I mean, they're not stopping by their local Chili's um, or, or their local <laughs> Jersey right. Mike's to grab a sandwich, dude. These people are in there. There are bottles of tequila on the table, and they are anchored down for several hours. They're going to walk out, go home, pass out, I suppose, or – Michelle kept telling us people go back to work a lot of the times, although on Friday she said not necessarily. So, again, La Opera is another amazing place that you should definitely try, especially if you're in that part of Mexico City. Then we kind of got a little local on Friday night, and we went to well, a— Well, don't forget, don't forget, La Opera, there's the, the famous—now, uh, they have it, uh, you know, framed out, and, it, and it's been immortalized in the ceiling, uh, uh, the legendary, famous Pancho Villa— oh, Rode into it was a saloon back in the day, you know. They converted it, made it a little bit more of a restaurante now. But it had like the swinging door saloon, and Pancho Villa rode in the saloon with his horse, shot his gun into the ceiling, and rode out. And they have the bullet hole still in the ceiling to this day. And that was probably a hundred years ago that that happened, or over a hundred years ago that happened. I love that you remembered all that because I was like, who's Pancho Villa? I mean, I had like no <laughs> Mexican history at all. I mean, I was in my car this morning. My daughter and I were driving to school. She was going through American history because she had a test today. I don't know jack shit about America either, so I'm not really so worried <laughs> right. about not knowing my Mexican history. Hey, again, restaurant suggestions. You're in Mexico City for three, four days. We went to a part of town on Friday night called uh, Jardín del Pedregal. Pe Pedregal. Um, Jardín del Pedregal. And we went to a restaurant called Sud, S-U-D, 777. Yep, Sud 777. Yeah, okay, Sud, thank yep. you. Uh, dude. Yeah, I got to speak your Spanish. Man. Right, right. Dude, that place was incredible. I mean, you're talking about a locals place now. This is not, you know, some, right. some kind of tourist attraction. This is not a Planet Hollywood or a Hard Rock Cafe. This is a real embedded into a neighborhood kind of place, but very, right. like, very, like very high end. Rancho Bernardo, and you're going someplace where only the locals that live in that, you know, those out in those suburbs, you know, places that are just, you know, deep in the, the hidden 
areas of residential life where you know that, oh, this place has been around a long time. They do it upright. It's, you know, our little local flavor flair. That yeah, everyone, but that place, around though. Around San Diego, whether you're from La Mesa, Rancho Bernardo, Escondido, Oceanside, you all know what, which of those places are. Like, the best that your little town has to offer in your little suburban part of the greater right. San Diego. But, but, I would, but I would say to you this, that, that this happened to have been in a very exclusive part of town where there were beautiful homes with lots of bodyguards out in front of these homes. So this was right. like, if, if you were going to go, again, we'll, we'll use, uh, if, if you're in Los Angeles, and this was like a hidden gem of Brentwood or Santa Monica, right. you might you might get the, because this was a very high-end restaurant, Sud, S-U-D, 777, food spectacular, ambiance incredible, and by, I would say, like 10, 11 o'clock, DJ was pumping People, beautiful people everywhere. Everybody's drinking tequila and partying and having a great time. I really, really like that place. Sued seven seven seven. Well, it was like a like a garden, and, and things were inside the the restaurant that was like, uh, and it was you know, art, the architecture was just phenomenal. I mean, they they make use of you know, it's what nine million people in the in the city and twenty something million in the greater metropolitan area. I mean, they you know they're. It's not it's not sprawling, you know. There's there's some tight quarters, and they just make this this area spacious and vertical and angles and architecture, and and you're just sitting there going, "Where am I? This is freaking awesome." Yeah, it was awesome. So Saturday was the America's Bowl. We went to the game, watched our kids get annihilated. We went back right. to the team hotel, and we're like, "Well, you know what? It's Saturday night. We're in Mexico City. Do we just kind of call it a night, or do we take it to the next level?" And thankfully, we did. We went um, back right. to the part of Mexico City called San Angel, and we went to a restaurant there called Porfu- I have to say this right, Porfirios, P-O-R-F-I-R-I-O-S, Porfirios Restaurante. And that's where they put a big giant bowl of guacamole on the table, and all, right. all over the guacamole were dead grasshoppers. Now, you that's seem right. to be an adventurous <laughs> eater, and I'm not really so adventurous, and I don't really think that there's any reason that I need to eat a grasshopper, but you went for it right away. I, I wasn't that's into right. it. I was like, hey, with everything that we'd experienced already, if it's just five-star everything, right? I mean, just and I'm just like, oh, well, it's got to be good. And I thought it was a whole bowl of, of uh, grasshoppers and crickets, and then when – you know, put your chip in, and you realize, oh, there's guacamole underneath here. Awesome. That makes it all the better. I'm definitely going to give this a shot. I, I Well, speaking of a shot, I needed three more shots of Don Julio Reposado <laughs> and some sangrita. I never knew what sangrita was. I thought it was sangria, which is, you know, that fruity, whiny drink. Sangrita is like a spicy tomato juice kind of drink that's in a shot glass next to a shot of tequila so that you can sip your tequila and sip your sangrita. So I needed more of that before I could get into those grasshoppers. That's right. We had to... to your pressure and drink you into the to the submission of going for it because yep. uh yeah you you, were, you weren't a fan of uh, being adventurous neither was blake <laughs> well the thing is it was saturday night by this time frankly i mean we've been drinking for two straight days we've been sightseeing we're hanging out with our kids i gotta say i was a little tired but dinner ended so late saturday night so again imagine you're in this you're in a new you're in an airplane you're reading a magazine okay night one we went here night two we went and sightseed and we and we went to this restaurant and that restaurant and then Saturday night, we got done with dinner at 1.30 in the morning. And there was this nightclub that I had been told about that was supposed to be the greatest nightclub in Mexico City. Right. Most so, exclusive. If you, you were not getting in with that, if you're not on a list. Right. Plain and simple. So I'm, it's 1.30. Uh, frankly, I'll tell you honestly, like I'm drunk already. 
You know, um, we've been eating like animals. I'm tired. I could go back to the hotel and crash, but you thankfully motivated and said, dude, we've got to go to this club. It's called M.N. Roy. And That's right. thankfully like, we went. You know, hey, I mean, we'd already had an epic trip, and it's Saturday night, and we knew it was winding down. We were going to be leaving the next night, so it's like, fuck it. We have got to do that. We just, it wasn't even a matter of do we want to or not. I felt like we have to. We have to just pull the YOLO card and just go, fuck it. We're going to do this because, because we're here. You know, it's Mexico City, and why not try to go to the most exclusive, you know, hidden gym nightclub in, in all of Mexico City. So we show up. They open it, too. We, we pull an Uber. We get an Uber. Uh, probably took about a 15-minute Uber. I think it cost 30 cents. I cannot yeah. believe <laughs> how cheap Uber is in Mexico City. We show up. There's a line at this place. And we stand out like sore thumbs. I mean, we're white boys from California, and I come pulling up to the front door, and here's this guy who, who looks like he's heavily armed, like wearing like bulletproof vest and looks like he's like in the military. And I'm like, yo, my man, um, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm on the list. And now he doesn't speak any English, and I barely right. speak any. Well, I now learned I speak no Spanish. I thought I spoke some <laughs> Spanish, but I speak no Spanish. If sh- there is ever such a thing, I would say that there are two of them. And they each were like three bills a piece with these huge beards. And I swear, if there's such a thing, I thought they were like Mexican-Russian. I mean, they just had that like, I was looking for them to have the, uh, the Russian Cossack hat was the only thing missing. Because they just had that like, you're not going to freaking get in here. And uh, yeah, we're Russian-Mexican, so we're like uh, KGB cartel combo. I mean, it was, <laughs> was kind of kind of intimidating. For, you know, most bouncers are never intimidated by them. Or you're just a dude that's a little bigger. But uh, these dudes were intimidating just by looking at them. Right. So I kind of I, – I knew that that I had to play this different. I mean, you, you can, listen, if you're a dick to a doorman and you start kind of, I'm on the list and, you know, any of this kind of – you raise your voice or get upset or anything like that, you come off looking like a jerk and you're never going to get any help. I gave him my name. I told him um, that I was on the list. He asked me who put me on the list. I went into my text and I told him Gonzalo put me on the list. And then, of course, he hit me with the next round of questions was Gonzalo who? And I'm like, I, right. dude, I don't know, man. You know, Gonzalo. I don't fucking know. You know so so it, I pulled back and I said, let this all just play itself out. It's all going to be good. Next thing you know, he's on the, the, the uh, walkie-talkie. He's got my name. He's asking them if I'm on the list. Now Michelle... Our interpreter, she jumps in. She goes, yes, yes, that's us. He goes, okay, good, let's go. We're, so it took two Escort. or three minutes. Escort. Yeah. Escort. 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 <laughs> You're not Scott. Yeah. You're Escort. Escort. <laughs> Vamanos. So the four of us now go walking into this nightclub. And it is, I mean, dude, it is everything you would see in a movie. Am I right? I mean, oh, the totally. music, the lighting, the DJ, the people smoking, um, International flair, the the pounding music. For sure. Yeah, so I mean, it was the place was really awesome. Yeah, it made me think of uh, the scene for those uh, movie goers in the first Triple uh, X with Vin Diesel, where he gets to go into that Russian uh, Czech nightclub bar that's run by the Russian mob, and it you know you go in and it's just like oh okay once you get past the door and it's like these steel you know it was completely inconspicuous from the outside. And no clue. No clue what's behind those doors. And then you go in, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, now I'm, I'm here. I've arrived. It was amazing. It really was. Um, 
By the way, in the middle of this entire podcast, you know my son, you, we're talking about our kids. My son is always so needy. Um, he's texting me that he needs lunch at school. I'm like, dude, you're 17 years old, for Christ's sake, man. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, my son was trying to call me. I have no idea what for, but I didn't answer. So I don't have time to look at my phone. I know. Well, thank. Well, you're driving. So, so anyway, listen, end all, be all. I mean, I would say this. Mexico City, leaving from Tijuana, incredibly easy, very safe. I know how I perceived it. Not like that at all. It's like having a giant San Diego South airport. And right. and it was easy. It was clean. Easy. It was easier. Less congested. Less crowded than the, nor- than the normal airport. Dude, it was great. Security was fast. Uh, it was fantastic going through Tijuana. Mexico City is a place that if you don't have it on your list of places you want to go, not only can you get there fast and cheap, there is so much to see and do. And all these great restaurants that we've given you suggestions on, Mark, comparatively speaking, how inexpensive were those world-class meals? Uh, dude, they're cheaper than, like, freaking Olive Garden. They were five-star restaurants that were cheaper than going to Olive Garden. It was, I was just blown away. I, I still, still can't believe how affordable, for all the tequila we drank, the five-star level of service, the filet mignon, the, the local, you know, the seafood, the every, everything that they brought to the table was as good, if not better, than any other place I've ever been, you know, from your... Flemings and your Ruth's Chris and your every everything and and just the amount of alcohol we consumed top notch you know top level tequila would would have doubled the entire food cost of everything that we that we did easy just alcohol alone and I, it was just the economics of it are incomparable yeah they really are it's amazing so there you go, man. What a story. I, by the way, I thought this was going to be like 15 minutes. You'd hurry up. You'd tell us the story. Okay, this is my buddy Mark Rabb. Here's why he's relevant to the conversation. The old school radio show part of it. The Charger one game career. Now our kids play ball together. And we just had like this this guy trip together that was, by the way, I mean, honestly, it yeah. was, dude, I got to tell you, brother, you, you are a fun guy to travel with. No problem at all. I could travel with you anywhere. That's right, man. Same here. I'm already looking for our next opportunity. <laughs> so I expected this to be a very quick uh, part of the podcast, but I'm glad that we, we went a little bit deeper because uh, you got a great story to tell, and uh, and it was really a, a lot of fun just kind of hanging out. It made me feel 18 again, like I was in college all over again. Right. Yeah, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. But, man, Mexico City, and then, you know, we saw the other pyramids, the ones, not the ones that were buried in the historic district, but the, the, the ones on Sunday. Yeah, I wish I could tell everybody where that was. Where is that? Where do we go? What's the name? Tehuac- Te- I can't pronounce it, but it's like Tehuacatan. I mean, when you look it up, everyone will know where the Pyramid, pyramid of the Sun and Pyramid of the Moon are. And it starts with a T. It's like T-E-O-H-I-T-C-U-A. So, no, dude. Dude, you're not, even, you're not like even close, man. You're not even close. <laughs> T- no, no. Here goes. Here goes. You ready? T-E-O-T-I-H-U-A-C-A-N. Right, whatever it's called. Teoteca, whatever. Um, and the only reason I know that is because I take pictures on my iPhone just so the iPhone will remind me where was the picture taken. Nice. You know, so it's not, it's not just a picture. At the top of the picture, it tells me Teotihuacan, or however you're supposed yeah, to say it. Right. Now I need a pronunciation <laughs> guide. Yeah, definitely for that, that place. But that was, you know, you're in this 9 million city place and you go 45 minutes outside the city and you're in this country type atmosphere uh with legit pyramids yeah that you can climb yeah dude and we we climb those things fast until 
everybody in front of us slowed down and created this mass of humanity that we couldn't get through. Otherwise, we're going to fall off the side of the freaking pyramid, dude. That's anyway, right. amazing trip. Congratulations to the America's Bowl for putting this thing on. You guys did such a spectacular job and took such good care of these kids. And I, I literally went, Mark, because I was like, I don't freaking know, dude. I mean, I'm sending my kid to Mexico City with a bunch of football coaches. Shit, I better be there. And yeah. I, I could tell yeah. you, man, you, I didn't need to be there. My kid was in very good hands. Yeah, mad respect for the America's Bowl. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how they put. Like I said, you know, we're, I was, you were at Pitt. You know, I went to USC. We're not talking, you know, slumpy universities. We're talking they know how to do a, a bowl games and you know, big time D one programs. Like this is like San Diego, you know, band of brothers for football, and they they pulled off a top notch like bowl game experience where the kids got. You know, bags of swag with the, the shirt. They they represented. They showed up like legit and everything from the time they, you know, got to TJ to the time we returned to TJ and crossed back over, walked across the the inside bridge, and we're back in the U.S. It was just complete um, respect for for the America's Bowl for what they do. Did a great job, Mark. It was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for being on the solo podcast. Anytime, Scotty. All right, brother. Great friends. Great friends. All right, that was Mark Rab and. What a story, right? I mean, what an incredible story. And by the way, what a guy. You know, married, kids, um, unfortunately divorced. One of his sons has muscular dystrophy, so the whole family has to chip in and take care of I mean, it's, it's a real story. I mean, this is a real man here, you know, and, and I love the guy. And, and it was great to spend time with him in Mexico City. Let me move on, though, now here on the solo podcast because where I, what I really intended to highlight this week was – my best buddy from college is a guy named Alex Van Pelt. And, and for those of you that are listening in, in all parts of the world that were part of our college ecosystem, you know Alex was our star quarterback. He was a guy who was cover of college football magazines, was projected to be a first-round draft choice by ESPN's Mel Kuyper back then, um, was just, I mean, really in his era, he was one of the top college football quarterback. So just to give you an example, in 2018, if you looked around the country and you said, well, you know, Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma and Sam Darnold at USC and Josh Rosen at UCLA, um, back in, in our day, you would have included Alex Van Pelt in that conversation of top college quarterbacks from a given region of the country. In fact, you know, Pitt was, uh, you know, it was Alex and there was a kid at Penn State who was also a big star quarterback. So this is my my best buddy from college, my my roommate for five years. And when I say my best buddy, we got a couple others out there. You know, I got my buddy Freak Daddy, Freddie A, and my my, my boy, you know, the Redbird, Kenny Radnick. The, the, we were all a very tight crew, and, and it extends even deeper than that. But the thing about it is, and the reason I wanted to bring Alex on the solo podcast is because we haven't been able to put him on the radio or talk football with him uh, in any form of media in the last however many years that he's been a part of the Green Bay Packer organization because working with the Packers is, uh, I mean, it's, it's locked down. It's, it's tight. I mean, this is, this is our little town, our great stadium, our world-class organization, but it all stays in real nice and tight. And when I would say to Alex, dude, come on the radio, let's talk about this. Or, Hey, Aaron Rodgers got hurt. You want to talk about it, dude? I'd love to, but we can't do that. We, we, it's just not in their culture. Well, as it turns out, he got fired. Or, well, maybe he has a different phrase for it. And we're going to talk about that because we don't ever really talk deep football. And, and I don't interview my, my pals uh, off air. But in this case, it's been so long. And this is his first media appearance, at least in my world. And I want to 
kind of get into this whole thing of leaving the Packers, getting a new job. Why jump on the first job that's available to you? Um, what motivates a decision like that when you're in the business of professional football? So let's get the phones going, and uh, let's call my buddy Alex Van Pelt, who is now the quarterback's coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Think about that. From Green Bay to Cincinnati, polar opposites in perception um, in, in the world of professional football. Let's, let's dial him up. Hello. Big Al. What's up, brother? We are already rolling, man. We're rolling? We are. This is how I do's it now. I like how you do's it. Yeah. I just, I just, I do a whole introduction of who you are and what your deal is. So this way all the listeners are like, why are you interviewing this guy? And then I just call you and we're rolling. I love it. That's a great concept. Do you podcast anything? (laughs) I'm going to start my own podcast, I think. Let me tell you something. I, I guarantee you this. If you're not bullshitting, it would be a gigantic hit to have an, yeah. an active dude, an active NFL assistant coach podcasting thoughts about a variety of things. It doesn't have to just be all football. Um, yeah, and but then we'd have to get you on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And yeah, everything. I see you just broke it there. I can't do any of that. <laughs> do you think any do do any coaches anybody in your profession any colleagues? do that that you know of not that i'm aware of no i think some guys might have twitter but those were like college coaches that came in and just said but no there's no there's no social media there's no instagram snapchats any of that stuff why not i don't know it's a good question well i mean is it team mandated or is it no no not at all i don't think it is at all so it's just uh, i I don't have much time i think this is the big thing but I look at coaches, guys like a Jack Del Rio, who I follow, who's really active, uh, or, Pete, or Pete Carroll. Yeah, and, and by the way, a lot of times, um, you know, if you're a big celebrity, you might have somebody doing this work for you. But I certainly sense from those guys that they're in total control of their phone and they're putting, a lot, putting out a lot of messaging. Now, they may, especially in Pete's case, he may be working with Team PR, um, sure. or, but, but, I mean, he's got a huge, huge following, you know? Oh, well, that's awesome. So, dude, you should have to look into that. Well... I think when you're when you're in your business, you know, I, I think you guys are, you, you guys just grind so much. You guys work so many hours, from what I know, that this would just be a complete distraction for you. I think that's the biggest thing to be honest with you. I think it's just there's no there's no time, and then when you have kids and everything else, it's you know you'd obviously rather text your kids than making a statement on Twitter. I guess I don't know. On the flip side, I just want to say one thing: if you're if you started a podcast while you're an active coach. And you become a head coach, and you've still got this podcast. And five years from now, when you get fired as a head coach, because you're bound to get fired, because everybody does, right? <laughs> right. Um, you would already have millions and millions of people following you on all these different platforms. And when you're sitting around unemployed, still getting paid by the team, you could have a huge audience. Where, where are they following me to? That's the thing I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go anywhere. <laughs> Well, that's actually funny that you say that because I people ask me all the time, "Hey, you speak to Alex?" and I'm like, "Yeah, I talked to him the other day." And they're like, "Whoa, what what's what's the deal with the job and what's he going to do?" And 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 I always tell people like, "We don't talk that much about business. We kind of are like, "Hey, what's up with the kids? How's Brooke? How's the family? What's going on with you and business?" 
I mean, we talk a little football, but I thought on a day like today we could spend a little bit of time not so much talking about football, but just talking about the business that you're in. Okay. That'd be great. So, okay. Because I set it up that way that we don't really talk too deeply about this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some things that I would ask you if I didn't really know you. You, know, you ready? Okay, perfect. Yep. So first thing would be this. You have been coaching in Green Bay prior to the new job that you just took in Cincinnati. How long were you in Green Bay? How many years? I was there six seasons. Okay. In, in how many different roles? Uh, three different roles. Actually, I had to start as running backs coach for two years. The first two years that I took over the quarterbacks, uh, my third year, my fourth year, I was quarterbacks and receivers. And the last years, I've been just the quarterbacks. Uh, what, is, is it commonplace for a, an assistant coach to coach two positions at the same time? Uh, not, not in today's game. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, I know that was that was very common. Most guys, you know, might coach tight ends, the, the receivers, and the, the backs. You know, one guy had the offensive line. You'd have three or four coaches per side. But now, um, you know, with all the information that's out there, there's so much out there that you can get and, uh, and, and share with your players. I, I think it's just it's tough to have two different positions. Uh, you know, if you could just focus in and, and give your full attention, especially to the quarterback position, that that's critical. Right. That so, was a tough year. I had good help. I had a good. I had a good assistant that uh, that was sharp and was a really good coach. I ended up coaching receivers um, when I went back just to just quarterback. So that was very helpful. But when you're when you're at the Green Bay Packers, and you've got what most people think is the best player in professional football. I mean, look, we can argue about Tom Brady all day long, but. I'm just saying, generally speaking, everybody thinks Aaron Rodgers is the best thrower of the football and maybe the best, most complete quarterback in the game. When you go from coaching Aaron Rodgers for all these years, the most natural question people would have is, okay, so you're not going back to the Packers. We can sit here and discuss why. But from the Packers to the Bengals, that's really the question that most people would have is, why? Why would you jump on a job so quickly when a guy like you could be so in demand given all the moves in your business? Uh, one one of them is you have a quarterback there. I thought that was very uh, intriguing, um, having a chance to work with Andy Dalton. I liked him a lot when I evaluated him coming out of college. Um, I followed his career obviously uh, you know, up to this point, and I like I like what he's made of. I like his moxie. I mean, he's, he's a leader. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. He's got the mobility. So there's a lot there to work with, and that that was the first thing that was intriguing. Secondly, it was uh, you know Coach Marvin Lewis. Um, Long history, obviously. We were all together at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, so just a familiarity with him. And um, you know, just, just keeping up with him over the years. Every time you play him, you see him at the combine, give him a hug. You know, just staying in touch, just that pit connection there. Those were two of the things. And then when I got there, actually, I got to meet uh, you know the owner, Mr. Brown. And uh, what a neat guy he is. He reminds me a lot of Mr. Wilson, who was the owner of the Bills for a long time when I was there. Loves football. He's a football guy. You know, now that, to me, that was... Uh, that was intriguing as well. But um, get, plus, you get a little bit closer to home. You know, I'm four hours away now from our house in Pittsburgh and our families. So that, that makes it a lot easier, too. But, uh, but, but all first this off, is, the quarterback, all, second yeah, but, off, probably the coach, and then third off, the owner. Yeah, but Alex, all that stuff is football, you uh-huh. know? And, and okay, listen, I, I could make an argument right now that staying in Green Bay is a bad football career decision. And people go, what? Are you out of your mind? You got the best quarterback in football. You're his his coach. You're working with a legendary franchise. You're making great money to live in a place that costs very little. Staying with the Green Bay Packers is the smartest thing someone could do. And I would argue the opposite. I would argue that by staying in an organization that is so legendary, with a player who's bound for the Hall of Fame, 
with a coach that has a street named after him already, that, in my opinion, it's very hard to move up the ladder. You go to an organization like Cincinnati, which most people perceive to be a lower echelon organization in the NFL. I'm not saying anything intentionally insulting. I'm just giving you a perception. But you have an opportunity there to show what kind of coach you can be because the player that you're getting has, I don't want to say underachieved, he's just never won the big game for that organization. And you've got a coaching situation that looked unstable not long ago with Marvin Lewis. I mean, there were rumors that he was not going to be back, even though he's, besides Bill Belichick, the longest-standing coach of any team in the NFL. I just think that I could make a great argument that leaving Green Bay and going to Cincinnati, two polar opposites in terms of perception of organizations, is the best thing someone like you could do to ultimately achieve getting to head coaching status. I mean, am, am I am I no, am I way I, too ridiculously positive here? No, no, I, I, I see it the same way. I've talked about it before. How much credit do you really get for coaching Aaron Rodgers? You know, I mean, the guy's amazing. So, you know, if I could uh, get Andy to, to play better. And, and win games, win more games, then I think that's a little more feathered in, in the cap than um, you know winning those same games with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's just a tremendous player. He always has been. Okay, so the football side of it, we're we're kind of getting into this football thing, but I want to talk more about like real life because what people don't necessarily understand, and I've had a front row seat to it for the last twenty years, is how an assistant coach lives because guys are in constant motion in your business, whether it's the college game at any level or the professional game, guys are in constant motion, which means wife, kids, school, moving, stress, money, new environment, etc. I mean, all the, the real-life bullshit, right? Oh, it's totally that. So, like that. It's, so, it's so, crazy. So I go back to the same question, which is why, why when Green Bay says we're done and you've got five head coaching vacancies available out there, why jump other than familiarity? Why jump at the Cincinnati gig? Well, I thought it was you know, I thought it was one of the best jobs out there. To be honest with you, at the time, talk about talk about the quarterback, talk about the team. We played those guys this year and, and took them. You know, they took us to overtime, and uh, you know, we beat them at home barely in overtime. So I, I have a lot of respect for the team, a lot of respect for the players. It's a veteran team. Um, once again, the quarterback. You look at the guy. If you don't have that guy, then. Really, and I know in my experience in this league, you don't really have much of a chance to, to to be a playoff caliber team without a quarterback. How about real life, though? You got kids. You got three kids. Uh, one is graduating high school. One still has years left of high school. And I'm sure she's very comfortable with her friends and her her, her oh, yeah. environment in Green Bay. And then you got a younger ch- a child as well. So, right. so what about moving place to place and and you know again. It, there was stability with Green Bay for the last six years. There was some stability with the Bills organization for many years. Now you're on the move. So how's that work with kids and school and moving and all that? Well, that's the worst part. That's the hardest part. Um, you know, because I'll, I'll be gone now. I'm at the Senior Bowl right now. I'll be back uh, for a couple weeks in February. Um, generally, I would I would have found a house and tried to move the family in and get them acclimated right away. But I have a senior in high school, so she doesn't obviously want to leave, and she wants to graduate with her friend. So we're going to stick it out and stay for the school year. So there's three months, three and a half months that I won't get to see my family, which is tough. Now that, that's every coach that goes through this. Now you have a sophomore that uh, you know has made friends and and doesn't want to leave her friends, and she's uh, you know has anxiety about leaving, and 
my, my son, who's, you know, Jack, he is, um, he's on the spectrum. He has Asperger's, so routine is very, very important to him. So this is obviously going to be a change in his routine. So uh, it, that's that's the worst part of it all. You know, plus you're leaving your friends. The kids are leaving their friends. But, um, you know, it, it's a new adventure, and that's what I try to sell them. Uh, you know, it's, it's the next chapter. You're going to meet, meet new friends. You're going to still have your old friends nowadays with Facebook and you know, FaceTiming him and talking to him, you'll still be in contact with your old friends. So it, it, it is hard. It's not fair for them, but uh, it is what we sign up for in this business. Like you said earlier, everybody's going to get fired eventually, and this just happens to be my third time. So <laughs> on, onward and upward. Yeah, but for a guy like you, back when we were playing college ball, you were the most popular guy on the team. Everybody loved you. Everybody rallied around you. When you were the backup for the Buffalo Bills, Jim Kelly was the star, but you were the behind-the-scenes guy doing all the all the things that a backup quarterback needed to do to support a starter. And that's always been kind of your calling card, even as an assistant coach, when, you know, uh, you, you know, you got McCarthy's personality over here and Rogers' personality over here, and you've got to play, you know, liaison and, and middleman. And, and so I just wonder what it's like the night you walk home and you tell your your kids, um, I no longer work for the Packers. For a guy who's always been so popular, so likable, so respected, you know, wh- what was that like? Well, it wasn't it wasn't uh, great, you know. As we like to explain it, as I was not invited back. <laughs> oh, okay. Is that the phraseology we're using? <laughs> yeah, we we weren't fired. Actually, my contract expired, <laughs> so I wasn't under contract. And I, you know, we, we knew we were going to move at some point, and you know, but the kids were actually kind of ready for it. We told them this might be the year. Um, you know, I, at some point in your career, you have to roll your dice. Um, you know, as you know, I've had opportunities to go and and uh, have a chance to interview for coordinator jobs elsewhere. The last three or four years, contractually, I could not. So I, um, you know, I let the my contract way, expire uh, this year. I'm going to say this. That, by the way, you don't have to say it. It's totally cool. Everybody understands you don't burn bridges in your respective businesses. That's bullshit, okay? Anytime somebody stops you from going to get a better job, a higher-paying job, something that's going to elevate you in your career, that's just bullshit, man. I, again, you don't have to comment if you don't want to. That's just that, That's in any business, Alex. Well, it makes it tough. It definitely does, and that and I, you know, and I bet on myself, and my quarterback got hurt. You know, missed eight games, so it's just part of the deal. You know, if you want to be a free, with the bad, didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I was hopefully, I would hope that I would have a coordinator position, possibly, or have a chance to be a coordinator again. But you know what? That's the way life goes. It's it's, it's nothing different. Nothing, no big deal. We don't care. Uh, and keep fighting. Yeah, I mean, whatever, dude. I mean, I, I, as soon as this whole thing happened, I, I love to do this. It's probably corny. Tell me what you thought when you received it. I send a link to, and this happens any any friend, anything bad happens, you know. Um, I wind up sending this link. It's a YouTube video called The Chinese Farmer. Now, I sent it to you. Is there any chance you opened up the link to The Chinese Farmer? I did not. I didn't. You didn't send me that. I did not get that, I don't believe. I don't know, man. I think I sent it you to you. you got to send it to me. I think I sent it to you. Well, you want me to tell you the story of the Chinese farmer? Yeah, I would love to hear the Chinese farmer. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, you know me, dude, right? Like, I'm I'm uptight. I'm, like, stressed. I'm, I'm just one of those, like, like, people that doesn't necessarily like to take risk. I'm just, I'm just a fucking tightwad. You know what I mean? That, that's why when we were younger and coming up, that was the beauty for me of our relationship is I was wound really tight. And, dude, you were as loose as can be, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the Chinese farmer, 
um, he's at home and uh, and uh, his horse ran away, right? And okay. at night, the neighbors came over and they're like, oh, my God, we heard about your horse. By the way, they didn't sound quite like that. But they said, no. we, we heard about your horse. And what a terrible story. And the Chinese farmer said, well, maybe. And they so the next day, the horse came back and he brought like seven horses with him. And that night, the, the neighbors came by and they went, wow, the horse is back. And he brought friends. Good for you. And the Chinese farmer said, maybe. And the next day, the Chinese farmer's son was out trying to train one of these new horses, and he fell off the horse and he broke his leg. And that night, the neighbors came by and they said, oh, my goodness, we heard the terrible news about your son. He broke his leg. That's terrible. And the Chinese farmer said, well, maybe. And the next day, the army came and they knocked on his door. They were recruiting people to fight in the war. And they looked at his son. He was laying there with a broken leg, and they're like, well, we can't use him. So that night, the people came over, and they're like, hey, we heard the army wanted to recruit your kid, but his broken leg, they couldn't take him. That's great news. And the Chinese farmer said, maybe. And so the, the point of the story, if I'm, if I, I hope that you're getting what I'm saying. This is why I, I sent you the I, link. Uh, I do. Are you getting what I'm trying to sell here? I'm, I'm buying. I'm buying. What I'm saying oh, is. absolutely. You just got to, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You right. just got to go with the, roll with the punches and. And make the best out of it. I mean, that's all I know how to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited, to be honest with you. Excited for a new challenge. Excited for a new place to live and new friends to make and all that good stuff. And, you know, if you can turn the Cincinnati Bengals or help this quarterback, Andy Dalton, you know, become a, a guy who makes it to the playoffs and wins in the playoffs in a division that has Pittsburgh and Baltimore, um, I mean, dude, you're, you're – you, this is how a guy like yourself gets real attention. Like you said earlier, kind of hard to get any type of credit whatsoever when you're coaching Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> right. That is true. So, so dude, listen. Well, that's my plan anyway. So, <laughs> Well, I want to tell you what's really exciting for me about this conversation is I know it's the first of many. I always thought that you and I would have a great radio show together. Oh, you know we would. We, we would because we got all that history. But you used to come on my radio show. When you know you were playing or when you were coaching, but in Green Bay it seemed like like they were kind of locking everybody down. Like you weren't really open to the media per se, right? So I'm happy that you're going to be able to do this because you know people ask me all the time, they're like, "Hey, your buddy Alex Van Pelt that was on the radio that one time. Do you remember the greatest radio highlight <laughs> when you were a part of our show? When I shot the deer and missed. <laughs> yeah, so live, right, live. Okay, shh, shh. I got I got him in my sights. Hold on, I'm gonna take. And you shot the gun on the air. Oh, yeah. You have to. You can't. You can't just scare him to death. You gotta actually shoot him. Right. You gotta. You gotta build the theater, man. You know. You, you shot the gun, and they're like, "Okay, I gotta go." And you hung up on us. That's right. And everybody, nobody ever knew what really happened. And so, <laughs> all these years later, people will say to me, "What happened that day on the air when he shot that gun?" Did he get? Th- and I was like, I don't know. I don't remember. I didn't. I did not get the deer. I missed. It's tough to shoot when you have a phone up to your ear. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it might be easier if you get like those Apple ear pods. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I have to do. All right. Well, dude, I want to say this. Uh, this was fun because, again, we. I'm not calling you after you get a job and go, dude, are you out of your mind? The Cincinnati Bengals, wait it out, man. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to fire their offensive coordinator or, you know, Mike Vrabel's going to get the head coaching job down in Tennessee. He might want to uh, – we don't have those kinds of conversations in real life. No, no, not at all. And the weird thing about this new podcast that I'm doing is 
I'm hearing from a lot of our old pals, especially guys who live back east, too. Dude, I had a million downloads of podcasts last year, all of the radio show, and not one of these guys ever downloaded one of them. I put out something on Facebook and Twitter that says, now I have a new solo podcast, and they're all coming back going, dude, I love it. I'm, dude, I, I've been on the radio for 20 years in San Diego. What, where have you been? Or, yeah, exactly. You missed it. So it's kind of cool. I think everybody's going to enjoy hearing from you, Al. I know you're down at the Senior Bowl and you got to hustle. So thanks for the start, the very first appearance on my solo podcast. First of many. Well said. All right, brother. I love you. Hey, love you too, man. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you later. All right, great friends. That does it for episode four of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast. And, you know, people say to me, they're like, dude, why are you doing this? What's what's up with the solo podcast? Last year, the radio show had over a million downloads of the Scott and BR radio show. What's going on? Why are you why are you branching out? And the first answer is, is because I really had no place to put the picture that I use for the podcast. Um, it was taken at a party. I thought it was really funny. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this? And I'm like, you know what? It'd be good for the podcast. So I'm only joking. But th- the real reason is, is because, look, here, here's the reality. Um, this is a changing business podcasting has grown exponentially, as those of you who are listening certainly understand, and many other people, including my buddy Alex Van Pelt earlier, had no idea what I'm talking about. Even Dick Emberg. I've spent a lot of time with you know, talking about Dick Emberg here over the last few podcasts. I mean, Dick was podcasting. He didn't know where to, and he didn't know if he was going to make any money, but he was just getting into it. So I feel like the real reason, again, people are saying, well, what's, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Look, things are changing. The, the, the media world is changing. It's changing locally. It's changing nationally. It's changing internationally. When I see a guy like Rupert Murdoch, you know, the chairman of, of Fox Properties and, and all the media that comes with Fox, and he says, hey, look, I'm tired of Facebook telling us that you know, they're going to control everything that we put out. If anything, they should be paying us for real news. I mean, so my point is, is that Everything in media is changing, whether it's ESPN laying people off or radio stations having to, uh, you know, create a smaller staff to create you know, to, to maintain the same amount of work, whether it's at the local level of, of San Diego or New York or L.A. or the, the national level of ESPN or, or really even the international level of a, of a big media conglomerate like Fox in, in a battle with Facebook. The world of media, the way I see it, is changing drastically. And I think it'd be foolish to not change with it. Until the next podcast. See you then.